If you're looking for the latest scoop and in-depth interviews on the Saints, the NFL, the Pelicans, LSU, along with the best bets of the week, then lucky you. Along with high-powered, in-the-know guests who cover our teams, Jim Derry brings plenty of datitude. And he'll always tell you the way it is, or at least the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? Hello to all my friends around the country and elsewhere who are super thrilled. It is time for the Saints' first game in eight months. Sort of. Saints and Texans on Saturday evening, first preseason game of the year. You guys get excited about preseason? Preseason? Some people do. They get excited in Baltimore. I don't know if it's worth getting excited about, but hey... They'll be on the field in their regular uniforms and playing against somebody else besides themselves. I'm Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the Tides Picayune, the advocate at bet.nola.com, and this is a very special Datitude, episode number 83, for a Friday, August the 12th, 2022. Why is it special, you ask? Because we have a very special guest coming up in about 10 minutes Former Saints coach Jim Mora will be on the show, and we had a great conversation. It is audio only because Jim Mora is old school, and I am okay with that. Coach Mora says he wants to do it over the phone. You do it over the phone. So our normal little video clips on Facebook and Twitter ain't happening today. Coach Mora says phone. You do it on the phone. It, it, it's really it, it's a cool interview. All all the things uh, I wanted to get to, uh, I thought it would be maybe twenty minutes. Turned out to be forty five. And Coach Moore was very gracious with his time. And I tell you what, um, I want to I want to be Jim Mora when I'm eighty seven. I mean, that dude looks like he's seventy. And you talk to him, and he doesn't sound any different than he sounded. Back in 1987 and 1990 and 92 and 93 when he was coaching the Saints. Sounds exactly the same. And I had some great stories to share. We talk about uh, Sam Mills going to the Hall of Fame. We talk about how he ended up in New Orleans. We talk about um, the Dome Patrol, Ricky Jackson, uh, his his former teams. And uh, we asked Coach Mora to compare... His saints to these saints. And so all good stuff. And yes, we talk about playoffs. You know we had to. You know, I was pretty, uh, got to say, when, when I was talking to Coach Mora, you know, it, it's, it's like I go back in time. I mean, Coach was here before I even started the picking. In fact, when I started the picking, he was still the coach, but he had already been the coach for, I think he was going into his fifth season. And so there are certain people you revere in a certain light and you think back. In fact, we're calling this today Reminiscent Friday. I know that doesn't have a great rhyme or it's not like Fun Friday or Freaky Friday or whatever. I mean, I know there's no alliteration, there's no rhyme, there's no whatever. But that's what we're calling today, Reminiscent Friday. Uh, There's a few things I want to talk about before we get to Coach Mora. But uh, it... It was, a, it was a great interview, and um, again, all the things that I hoped we would talk about, we did. And uh, he, he kind of brought up the, the playoffs thing on his own. And a couple other moments of well-known memories of Coach Mora, both here and when he was in Indianapolis. And uh, so that'll be fun. So stick around. Uh, we hope you don't fast forward to Coach Mora and you listen to me. But that is your right. We thank you for listening to the Datitude Podcast. And in fact, if, uh, if you're new to the podcast and you want to find us and you just found us on bet.nola.com and it's something you want to listen to on a regular basis, we've had some great guests over the first year of this show as we fourth show of season two. Or is it the third show of season two? I forget. I think it's the fourth show of season two. Anyway, whatever it is, 
Um, you can find Datitude on any major uh, podcast platform, Apple, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcast, Datitude will be there. And uh, if you want to hit me up, jderryattheadvocate.com. If you have any questions, at Jim Derry Jr. on Twitter, be glad to answer them. Uh, and make sure you watch our shows on bet.nola.com. We've got some exciting stuff coming up in the next uh, few weeks. Just find out we're going to be doing a show um, the Saturday, the day before LSU plays Florida State. We'll be in uh, Harris and be, we'll be christening the brand new set in the brand new sports book on Saturday, I believe that is September the 3rd. And then the next day on the 4th when the Tigers take on Florida State in the Dome, we will be doing a show before the game in Champion Square. That's going to be fun with Zach and Spencer the Guru, and we'll have a lot of fun with it. Uh, reminiscent Friday, I look, you go through certain points in life, and I think it comes up more when you get to be my age, which is old. Um, where you start, you go through little periods where you have like a week or two where you just start thinking about a lot of things that happened in the past. And this is definitely one of those weeks. You know, I, I've, I failed to mention, and I was kicking myself after last week's show that I didn't mention about Vince Scully and the legendary Dodgers broadcaster and, and, and broadcaster for both NBC and CBS. I, I think the greatest play-by-play announcer in the history of sports. Not just in baseball, just in general. Uh, Vince Scully was certainly one of a kind, uh, and he had, and, and I try to take different things about when I do play-by-play. It, it, it's, you know, I get a little too loud, I get too, a little too excited. That's who I am. I've tried to tone it down through the years, and it doesn't stick. I just get excited. That's who I am. But when I've learned how to try to do play-by-play, I've tried to take some of each of my favorite announcers and and guys like Pat Hughes, who is the play-by-play guy for the Chicago Cubs. And you try to take that with you and, 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 you know, put things that they do into your calls. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But Vin was the best. Um, He sorely will be missed. But we've had some other deaths. Uh, You know, Olivia Newton-John, who is one of the sounds of my youth and really beyond and um, you know sad to hear her of her passing earlier this week and going deep into the the uh, the celebrity playbook Roger Mosley uh, who played TC in Magnum PI passed away this week in a car crash I think the same day as Lovey Newton John so I think those things when you have deaths like significant deaths of people that you you followed throughout, whether it's just your your youth, in these cases, or at least in the case of Vince Scully and partially Olivia Newton-John, you start that went on into my adulthood, and you start thinking about the past. And uh, this was one of those weeks, thinking about things and how things would have been different if you had done this or in your career or done whatever with a been with a different person or stayed friends with this person or gone to this school or stayed at that school or I mean we all do it and uh, I think part of it also is you know my my daughter uh turned 11 this week and uh little Ella Ella Boo don't like me calling her that anymore I don't think but I, I do anyway turned 11 this week and so it was a big big week at the dairy household and you, you just start thinking back so I, I thought about it I'd been thinking about it for a little while to try to get coach Mora on and uh, with a little help from Jeff Duncan um, I called him and he was very gracious and willing and so that was that was pretty cool and uh, just to talk to him about things that I remember uh, part of reminiscing Friday right and so uh, those of you over the age of 40 or 45 will remember a lot of these things that I'm talking about. I am over the age of 45, well over the age of 45. And uh, you know, a lot of these things I remember like they were yesterday. So uh, it was fun to ask him. Some of the things he remembered uh, well and some he just kind of, yeah, I remember that game, but I don't, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we'll get to that in just a moment. Saints preseason and uh, 
some of the moves that they've made so far, not really surprising, I would say. Uh, the two that stick out that I want to talk about very briefly, uh, signing uh, a third quarterback and K.J. Costello, who was a USFL quarterback for the Philadelphia Stars. Philadelphia Stars, Jim Mora, weird. Um, that is just insurance policy. We'll see what happens with Jameis Winston, who tweaked his foot this week. I think he'll be fine. Uh, he's not playing in the first preseason game on Saturday. I don't think he was going to play anyway. And if he did, it would be for maybe a series. They're not going to take a lot of chances with Jameis Winston, I can tell you that. I, I would be surprised, honestly, if he gets more than two or three series the entire three-game preseason. I mean, the you, guy coming off an ACL injury, you're not going to take a lot of chances with him. You, know, you want him to get some reps, for sure, but I don't think you're going to see a whole lot of uh, Jameis over the next few weeks. He'll do his work in the preseason. So uh, no surprise there. Um, but I, I think for me what was a surprise is the fa- fact that the Saints cut Malcolm Brown on I think it was Wednesday. Um, I didn't see it till yesterday, but I think it happened on Wednesday. And one of the things that tells me, I mean, there, there are other things that, that it could be, but it tells me that I, I, I think, and we've talked about this on the show, and we, we, I get this question. I was on um, a national uh, show earlier this week, and they were asking me about Alvin Kamara, and I, I, I think we're getting to the point now where he's, he could be suspended this year, but I think it's way more likely than not that it, it doesn't happen this year. And I think the team's starting to think the same thing. Because they still, this trial has been pushed back now. I think this is the fourth different time it's been pushed back. And uh, when you get to this point, I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I think that uh, there's going to be a settlement at some point. I, I'd be surprised if this actually goes to real trial. I mean, this is just a trial to get everything set up anyway. This is the pretrial stuff. So if they actually went to trial, I think it would be before. I don't think it's going to be before the end of this calendar year. So I think it's looking more and more like Alvin Kamara will be with the Saints for the rest of the year unless something weird happens, and there you go. So this team, though, is not – if you're looking at a place where they're thin on this depth chart, and there really aren't a lot of places where they're thin. Running back certainly is one. So to to see that move made – was kind of strange to me. Uh, some things that have stuck out and going through observations through our NOLA.com crew. Uh, it looks like the defensive line is is looking great so far in the preseason and in training camp. Uh, there was a note about Taco Charlton making some plays, and Carl Granderson apparently looks excellent. And so they're going to need him because we don't know – how quickly Marcus Davenport's going to be able to come back. So Carl Granderson's going to be big on this team. And uh, Peyton Turner, who obviously missed a lot of his rookie season and frankly hasn't, you know, you try to live up to a first-round billing, that's a tough thing to do. He has looked good so far in this uh, training camp. So I think we'll see a lot of Peyton Turner in this preseason game, I think we'll see Taco Charlton. There's no reason to see a lot of Cam Jordan. Uh, I'm interested to see what Adam Troutman does in the preseason. There's a potential starter who will see a decent amount of playing time because we, he needs to be able to catch the ball because I think he takes the next step this year. That's, that's a name and a, a kid I will be watching throughout preseason for sure. So those to me, preseason is you're just looking for how certain players play. And, you know, you always have those one or two or three guys who stick out and make the team that you would have never thought were going to make the team. It's a little bit harder, I think, with a three-game preseason instead of a four-game preseason. But it's still big, and that's what we're going to see, I think, beginning Saturday night in Houston when the Saints take on the Texans. Let's get to Coach Mora and our – Just, again, interesting interview, and 
ask them a little bit about everything. If you're not in the history of the Saints, uh, this, this interview is probably 30 to 32 minutes of talking about the past and maybe 10 to 13 minutes or so of talking about the present, maybe even less than that. So if you're not into the past, you may want to fast forward a little bit, but I would say give it a chance first because Coach gets into all the things that we want to talk about, all the things that you would think you would want to talk about if you, had, if you think you know, but you don't know and you never will unless you listen to Coach Mora. Very happy to welcome into the Datitude Podcast on this Friday morning, former Saints coach Jim Mora, a Hall of Fame Saints legend. And, uh, Coach, we're glad to have you on the show, and thanks for taking time out to do it. Jim, it's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to visiting with you this morning. Sounds good. Coach, uh, I, you know, I want to reminisce a little bit because, you know, when I started in this business 32 years ago, you were still head coach of the Saints, and uh, there was a lot going on back then. Uh, how, much, how much fun was it to coach in New Orleans? I loved coaching in New Orleans. One, because uh, when I went there, they had never won before, but the people there, well, the, the, the most fun for me was, was actually getting a good staff, and I, and I inherited a, a really good bunch of players, especially on the defensive side that had been there before. And, and, then, the, 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 but, and then we had, we had some success early, and the the reaction of the of the fans and the people in New Orleans was unbelievable to me, and uh, I just I, I come back there you know during the season and do some stuff with WDSU, and 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 I'm always welcomed by people that I run into on the streets or whatever, and uh, and they've always been that way with me, and uh, I, I I just appreciate that and and I. I, I love the, the people. They, they love their team. They love the Saints, and, and they love it to be successful, and they stood by it during the tough years. And Anyway, I, I, it's, it's always a pleasure for me to come back to New Orleans. Coach, one of the things I really remember is, when, you know, the, the Saints really didn't – I mean, let's be real. They, they didn't really become a football team until you became coach. I mean, your 12-3 season in 1987, and I, I remember that, you know, a lot of my friends and, and so many fans would go out to the airport and come out and see y'all come in. Uh, what kind of memories do you have of that those kinds of days? Okay, well, I, just what you just mentioned, I, I remember that. I remember that year, the 87 season, we were on the road – to play the uh, Steelers, and we beat them, and that win guaranteed right. us a winning season. Okay, that's right. No, no matter what we did the rest of the year, I think. And when we got back to the the airport, it was a mob scene. Uh, the cars—you could see cars parked forever. The people. We, we we came back to the to the uh, facility on David Drive. There were people there. It was a total mob scene. And then, you know, for days and weeks after that, the people were fired up about the football team and all. We, we ended up winning 12 games. And, uh, but I remember that, that when we won that Steeler game and what it was like coming back to the airport and all. Cars were lined up a long ways from that airport, all the way into the airport. And a mob, mob of scene, you know, waiting there for the plane to land. Coach, it, was, it was special. And, and, I, and that's how those fans, those people, well, you know people in New Orleans, they love to celebrate. They love to have a good time. <laughs> that's right. And that's, what, and that's what they were doing. And it was fun. It was fun to be a coach in that kind of a situation all the years that I was there, even though some of the years at the end weren't that good, but I still enjoyed it. Coach, January 3rd, 1988. I have the date marked in, in my memory uh, growing up here and being a lifelong New Orleanian. Uh, you played the Minnesota Vikings in the Dome, and I, and I know it didn't, obviously it didn't go the way the Saints wanted it to go, but being the first Saints playoff game, I'll never forget, A. Bear to Martin, that touchdown pass, the Saints took the lead uh, to this day. And I, I'm talking about even maybe even coming back from Katrina in the Atlanta Falcons game. I, I don't, I'm not sure I ever heard the Dome as loud as I heard when Bobby threw that pass to Eric and, and the Saints took a lead in that playoff game. Well, I, don't rem I remember the play. I don't remember the exact amount of noise there was because there was always a lot of noise there in the dome when the saints did something good but uh yeah that was a disappointing loss and we had some disappointed losses in the playoffs while i was there and i look back on that in my career and i and try to figure out why 
and I, I have some reasons, but and most of them were my fault. But uh, that that I remember that particular play. I know we got off to a really good start in that game and had a, a pretty good lead, and then we screwed it up there in the second half. Coach, um, I want to ask you a little bit about you and. I know you you played football in in college, and obviously football was a big part of your life. But how does a you know you go into the Marines, and how did you decide that after you got out of the Marines that you wanted to go into coaching, and that's what you wanted to do? Well, I played you know I, like you said I played in high uh, in high school ninth, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grade. I played four years in college, and then I went into the Marine Corps for three years. But when I was in the Marine Corps back in those days. Uh, the service teams, Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, they all had teams, you know, athletic teams, and, and, and we played each other. Like, when I was at Quantico that first year when I played, and then I went to Camp Lejeune for two years and played two years at Camp Lejeune, uh, we, we played, well, like at Quantico, that we played Boston College, we played Boston University. Okay. Uh, and then we played service teams, and we were all over the United States playing service teams. So football, service football back then was, I think, a lot more, was a bigger deal than it is now. I'm not sure why, but I know, I know when the Vietnam War broke out, they kind of cut down on that kind of a stuff because they couldn't, you know, they couldn't say, okay, here, we're, we got it worked out, a war go on, and we got our Marines and Army people and all that over in Vietnam getting wounded and killed and things like that and we're off playing football some and they you know they couldn't they couldn't do that so i know they cut it down as far as the 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 importance of it and 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 who we played and things like that since then and i don't think it's gone back up you know and like it was but so i played for four eight eleven seasons straight and then i got a job when i got out of the marines i got a job as an assistant coach at my alma mater occidental college which is a small school they don't even play football anymore and i was there for a few years as an assistant coach and got the head job and i i I just wanted i'd never really been in a big time level going to occidental college and stuff and and i had a chance to go to stanford after my third year as the head coach at oxy and i I went to the Stanford staff, and then I just, you know, bounced around a little bit at the collegiate level and had a chance to go to the NFL, went there, and whatever. But that's kind of how things went. When did you... Football's always been a big part of my life, no question about it. My son, Jim's a a coach, and uh, he played, and my other boys played in high school and college, and so it's been a big part of my life, still is. What was it like having Jim as an assistant coach here with you? I, I enjoyed that, you know. He, he. I didn't know how it would go, but I just tried to treat him like all the other assistants and not show any kind of favoritism or anything like that. And certainly, he would come over with his wife, and you know, he lived in New Orleans, and he'd come over and be, spend time with his mom and dad and things like that at their house. But basically, well, he was a good coach for one thing, so I didn't have to worry about that. But he handled it well, and I thought I handled it well too, and I thought it went pretty good. Coach, when you were uh, to, to become a head coach, I read somewhere where you talked about, you know, you loved Seattle. You're you're from the West Coast. Uh, you spent, I think, six or seven years in Seattle, and you, you got a chance to go to New England, which led to your your days in the USFL, where you won two championships, two out of the three years. And you talk about how emotional it was to leave Seattle. I mean, do you ever think about those times? And had you not done that, and uh, had not come to New Orleans, do you ever play the what if game and what might have happened had you stayed in Seattle? Yeah, you know, I do, and I, I made some I made some choices in my career, and they all turned out to be good choices because I think they led to something else that helped my career. The the move I like Seattle because our our my son you know we had lived there for seven years. My son, I had the three boys, they were all either in college or high school or even elementary school. They all ended up graduating from the University of Washington. Now this was down the road, you know, after we were living there. But we had been there for seven years and then all of a sudden this uh, opportunity to go to the Patriots as a defensive coordinator. That was a step up for me because I was just a position coach with the Seahawks. And we love Seattle, we felt, right there we had a lot of friends things like that but in order for me to make make advancements and have an opportunity maybe someday to be a head coach 
I had to I had to take this job be, to become a defensive coordinator. By taking that job, and I went back to New England for one season, but by by taking that and becoming a defensive coordinator, and we made the playoffs that year, the Patriots did, that gave me the opportunity to become a head coach in the USFL in, in 86. And, and I, don't, I don't think if I wouldn't have been a defensive coordinator for that one season that the person who, who selected me to be the head coach for the Philadelphia Stars in the USFL, I don't, I don't think I would have gotten that opportunity. And then being a head coach in the USFL and having really good success because we had the best players in that league, and like you said, winning two championships, because I did that, if I wouldn't have done that and had that success, I wouldn't have gotten the job with the Saints. So all of those steps, you know, helped me out. And at the time, did I think that it would help in the, in the future? I didn't know. But I felt like this is something I just had to do, and let's go do it. And they all worked out for me. I was very fortunate, very lucky. And then when the USFL folded, uh, you know, you had multiple opportunities to coach different places, and you chose New Orleans. And I always found that interesting. Uh, what led you to believe that you could win here for a team that, it, through 20 years of its existence, had never won, had a winning season, and had never been in the playoffs? What made you think you could win here? Well, let me, t- let me tell you this. Uh, you're right. Okay, when, I, when the USFL folded, I had three opportunities. I had the uh, Philadelphia Stars were needing a new head coach. The, uh, the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, now the Arizona Cardinals, they were in St. Louis at that point. They were looking for a head coach. And I interviewed with all, and, and then the Saints, of course, were looking for a head coach. Okay, I was not impressed with the situation at St. Louis. I went back there. I sat down and talked with the owner, Bill Bidwell. I, I didn't. I wasn't impressed with him. I wasn't impressed with the situation. You know, the the owner of a team that's 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 key Absolutely. to success because he that's where it all comes from from the top, right. very top. And then I interviewed with the, with the with the Eagles, and we had been in Philadelphia for three years, and they had a job opening. But I I interviewed there, and I didn't particularly care for that situation either and then when Jim Fakes called me and I'd never met Jim Fakes ever before but when he called me and he says hey I'd like to talk to you about possibly you know being the head coach of the Saints and so we met at the airport and I'd never met him before and we met at the airport in New Orleans and had about a three or four hour chat visit and I said this is a guy I want to work for after I left that meeting while I was talking to him and then this is after I'd interviewed at Philly after I'd interviewed at St. Louis and then this opportunity to work for Jim Finks and and I knew the situation in New Orleans I knew they hadn't been any good but I I knew that hey this is an NFL team why why do I why would you want to go into a situation where they've been very successful in the first place they're not going to be looking for a head coach if if they've been successful probably but here was, the, here was the New Orleans uh, uh, working for a guy like Jim Fix. Very important to have that op- to have that situation. I met Tom Benson. Tom Benson had only been the owner for one year, and he was kind of let Jim do all this, the, making the major decisions with coaches and personnel and things like that. Plus the fact, and this was big to me, that they hadn't been any good, that they had never had a winning season. They'd been close, but when you go 20 years and not win one more, than than you lost for a season. That's tough to do. But they were in that situation. And I said, let's go do something about that. Let's go do whatever we can about about that. Because when we do, it's gonna be something special. And I I brought the staff uh, with me from the the Stars, the Philadelphia Stars. I hired two or three guys, a couple of guys I, I didn't even, I had never even met before, but they were recommended to me. I checked up their 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 check up up on them a little bit. Talked to them on the phone. Hired them. Met them. We go we go to New Orleans and uh, the first time I met them, but uh, it it all worked out and uh, I was glad I did it and and I loved I loved my time in New Orleans. I loved the people there. It was it was a special place for me and a special time. Well, I'd say it worked out. It worked out in a big way. Um, I do want to, before I ask you about some players in particular, and I want to talk about Sam Mills for a minute. You, you were there last week. You talked about it. Uh, 
and it, just a great moment for the people in New Orleans and in Charlotte, for that matter. Um, but uh, I want to ask you about the '87 season, and, and the thing that sticks out for me, obviously, there was it was for those who don't know. I mean, those who are younger than the age of. 40 or 45, don't remember this, but there was a strike that season, and you guys had to play with replacement players for a few games, and you come out of it, you you play San Francisco, who was king of the hill at the time, and um, you lose a close one, and the infamous coulda, woulda, shoulda, whatever, I'm not going to get into that, but what was it about that speech, and what I don't know what you told those guys, but for them to go on the rest of the season, and Tom Benson says, we're not going to lose another game this year, and I know that probably made you cringe when he said it, but what was it about that moment, that game, that, that seemed to turn the entire franchise around after that loss? After the uh, 49er loss, yeah. when we came back, that's yes. what I was talking about? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, first of all, it was, you know, the first year I was there in 86, we were seven and nine. Right. And, uh, right? Yeah, seven, seven and, nine. and nine. That's right. And, huh? That's right, seven and nine. Yeah, yeah. And, but we, we, our defense was really playing well, and, and we had some good wins. We beat in the 49ers. The 49ers were, you know, maybe the best team in the NFL for that decade ahead of me. And, uh, I think we'd shown some promise. And, and when you go in as a head coach into a situation, depending upon the situation, it takes a while for you to establish a way to do things, uh, what you want. Uh, we, we had a great draft that first year, Pat yeah, Swilling, right. Dalton Hilliard, uh, Jim Dombrowski. I think we all got my first year, that first draft. And they improved it. And I, Jim, I'll tell you, I inherited some really good players. Yeah. And I didn't go in there with, and there was a bunch of bad players on that team because especially on defense, that defensive line we had, some of those guys were impressive. And it was a good team and they were hungry to win. And I went in and I was, I always felt like when you when you take a job, you, you got to be very demanding, especially initially, and and then you can always ease ease up with the team. And this was my philosophy, and I went in there, and I don't think those guys liked me that first year because I was <laughs> tough. I mean, I was I was every little thing that I felt needed to be corrected or that I didn't like. I mean, I I let them know it, and I'm sure that they were saying, "Jesus, I don't know about this guy." <laughs> But it, but it, no, I really do. Now, I don't. I didn't. I never asked them if that was the situation with them. But I just had that, and it was really my first head coaching job in the NFL. So I wanted to make sure that I, I got you know that I set a a philosophy and, and a way to do things and how I was going to react to to things that, that they did or didn't do. And and I, like I said, we had they were good people there. They're good guys to deal with, and they handle it pretty good. Now, what what went on my behind my back? I don't know about that, but as far as the, the situation on the field and emphasis and work ethic and things like that, which is what I was trying to establish, I, I, they reacted to that. And uh, we were close to being a, a winner that year, but we weren't. You know, we, we lost some games and suppo- you know, deservedly lose to those games. But the next year starts out, and again, we had the whole offseason and now a whole new philosophy. We got some, some good guys coming in and, and another draft and things like that. And, uh, and, and, and the guys that were there, like the Ricky Jacksons and the Stan right. Brocks and people like that, Jumpy Gethers, uh, I can go on and on. They were, they were at a stage in their career where they should be right about their peak as to how, how good they were going to be. We, we, a lot of those players, they weren't really young, but they weren't really old. They were at a, the middle point of their career, and this was a good time to have them on our team. And uh, our defense was exceptional. Most of those good, year, uh, good years early, our defense was one of the best, I felt was one of the best defenses in the league, and statistically, it proved that. So you always got a chance when you can play good defense, and we, we did those years we did we played really good defense because we had good defensive players and uh we just okay now you're going into your second year you was you'd establish some things that you wanted and what how things were going to go and how you were going to coach and all that kind of stuff that first season and I, it carries over into the second season the guys were used to it we got better and uh our defense played great and we stayed healthy and we won 
There's a game in particular I remember. That makes sense to you? hundred percent. Well, I was okay. there. I lived it, so I, I definitely okay. understand it. Um, there's one game in particular that stands out to me. I don't know how much you remember about it, but uh, you were playing against Bill Parcells and the Giants in the Dome. It was, after, it was a late afternoon game, Madden and Summerall. And it was the first time the Saints had ever won four games in a row, which is hard to believe. But that is that is true. I, to me, that that game was kind of the the game that that really seemed to change everything around. Do you remember a lot about that game? I, I don't remember a lot about the game. I will. I do remember. I do remember playing the Giants. I do re, late, later in the season. I do remember playing uh, uh, that game at, at home, and it was a tough game. The Giants were good. Uh, and, 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 and Lawrence Taylor, yes. here's one thing I remember about it. Lawrence Taylor, who I think is one of the best players ever in the history of the NFL, especially defensive players, he, he I think he either got hurt early in the game or came into the game, yep. uh, and was hurt coming into the game initially from a previous game or something, and he played like an all-pro guy, and I knew that he was injured at the time. That, that was kind of the thing that stood out to me, not the fact that we won the game, but, but what kind of a player Lawrence Taylor was. But uh, it was a big win for us. I, you know, anytime you, you beat those guys and the coach they had and the players they had, it, you know, it was, it was special. It wasn't a high-scoring game, was it? No, it was a low-scoring game. I think it was like yeah. in the low 20s. Again, they're, they're, you know, they always had good defenses, and uh, we did too, and we got to win. Coach, I remember that game. Yeah, I remember it. It was big for for Saints fans, I think, because we didn't have a lot of Madden and Summerall, and it was clear that the Saints were getting better because Madden and Summerall started coming in a little bit more. So, yeah, you know, that was a big deal for us. Um, I do want to talk about your, your personnel when you talk about it, and I want to start off with Sam Mills because, obviously, a Hall of Fame, uh, a Hall of Famer, deservedly so, should have been. It's a, it's a shame that um, it took a it was happened after his passing, but uh, just talk about what a special player. I know you talk about these players that come come in and help change the the scenery. I know that Sam Mills was a big part of that. Yeah. Well, I had coached Sam at, at in the USFL, and when I went to the USFL, I got that job with the Stars about two weeks before the season started. And when when we started this the practice, the training camp for the USFL in the spring. I, did, I hardly knew any of those guys. And every day after practice, and we had two a days every, every day, I would sit down with the coaching staff and I would get each coach, position coach to, to rank and talk about the players that they, I mean, I couldn't watch everybody. We had 80 guys out there. So like say Vince Tobin was a linebacker coach and he was, he had been our defensive coordinator. He was the defensive coordinator for the Stars. I said, okay, Vince, talk about the linebackers. I want you to kind of rank them. Okay, this was my best guy today, second best guy, and he'd talk a little about each one. And every time we, that Vince would, would stand up and talk, or just sit there and talk, he ranked the, the linebackers and talked about them, and he says, hey, my best linebacker is a guy by the name of Sam Mills, and here's why, okay? And, uh, and this every day, and I'm thinking, well, hey, this after a couple of days, I'm, I better go over there and check this guy out real close because uh-huh. I'm looking at his size while he's talking about him. You know, five nine or something like five. He was really five nine and a quarter, but they probably had him <laughs> listed at five ten. And he he didn't look he didn't look because of his height. He wasn't an impressive when I'm on, in a football uniform. You didn't say, "Man, look at this guy. He's a stud." You know. Right. Now he was a stud, but but not height wise and. So I started watching Sam, and right away I could see what kind of a player he was. But he wasn't a guy that just, uh, like, could rush in and sack the quarterback or make a big superlative catch as an offensive guy. He was just a good player every down, a, a guy that was impressive. I mean, he stuffed blockers. He made tackles. He was all over the field. He could cover tight ends. He could cover running backs out of the backfield. So over the course of that first training camp, I, I got to like this guy. And then, of course, we had the best team in the league for three years. We won a lot of games. Sam was our best defensive player. We won because we had the best players. And then when the USFL folded and I got the Saints job, 
Jim thinks one day early when I got the job there, he says, was there any guys on your team with the stars that you feel like we should bring in and give a sign and give a tryout with the Saints? And I says, well, yeah, I think we had two or three. And he says, what about this linebacker, Sam Mills? I says, well, I think we ought to, I think we ought to give him a chance. I'd like to sign him. And I wasn't pushing hard, real, real hard because I, I didn't know how Sam would, would do in the NFL. But I said, let's sign him. And the Bears were trying to sign him also. But we got him. And I don't know if this, this story that I'm going to tell you, may, maybe, because I've told it a lot to, to writers and stuff like that. But what we had been in training camp that first year, 86, uh, for a, about a week, I guess it was, when we finally signed Sam. And, and it's his first practice. It's a morning practice practice. Uh, and again, this was that first year, and I think those those players were were looking at me saying, "Who's this guy?" But anyway, I, I, and Sam, you know, he suits up and he's coming to that first practice, and we have a drill early in the in the in the practice called the nine on seven and drill. What it is is an offensive line, quarterback, running back, and they're going to run plays right in you know inside tackles and stuff like that and they go against linebackers and defensive linemen and it's basically a, a full speed drill but they're going to run right up right up the middle right up the middle right up the middle every time so sam comes out to the practice his first practice is the same and we stick him i stick him into the huddle the defensive huddle and he looked short <laughs> and and we had jumping gathers we had frank right. warren we had uh, jimmy wilkes and you know those names, right? Right. right. Yeah, and, and they were impressive guys. Tony Elliott was an impressive yep. guy. Bruce Smith was an right. Bruce Clark, I guess Bruce it was, Clark, was an yeah. impressive guy. Now they're all in that defensive huddle. Those big defensive linemen. Not only they they look good, but they were good players. And Sam steps in there. Ricky Jackson's in the huddle as a linebacker, and all impressive look. Well, Sam looks short, uh -huh. and he looks short to me, and I'm sure he looks short to the players that were watching the drill or the guys that were in the drill because of his height, only because of his height, okay? And I know from a fact that some of these guys felt that way and they were thinking, who's this guy, you know? <laughs> He's, the, the, who's this guy Mora brought in from the USFL and Ricky Dick League? I'm sure they were saying that. And I, I've read some quotes that, that Bobby Hebert has made about that situation. But anyway... So I'm standing there, and I'm going, come on, to myself, I'm going, come on, Sam, I, I know you can do it. Because here's a guy I signed in, I want him to look, to look good, you right. know what I mean? Right, And I'm going, I'm going, come on, Sam, to myself, come on, Sam, you can do it, I know you can do it, come on, do it. So they, they run a play right at Sam, and there's a big guard over him, he's lined up over the guard as a linebacker, and his guard probably over 300 pounds, I right. who it was. <laughs> but Sam steps up, and he stuffs his guard, because he was, had better leverage, obviously, but and then makes the tackle he's in there about five or six plays and every play he 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 was something i mean just impressive and i know and the players and all of a sudden they're going i know how they felt jesus this guy's pretty damn good <laughs> and i'm and, and and each time sam made a play i'm, I'm kind of thank okay, god there goes. <laughs> and but he that first practice the first time he lined up in the huddle with those big defensive linemen he looked short to me, okay? He looked short to that maybe he didn't belong there. After that one drill, that one drill, he never looked short to me again in the rest of the time that I had a chance to coach him. Never. He looked right where he belonged, right in there with those other guys because of how he played. And I'll never remember that. And, and I'll tell I'll you, never forget that. I'll and, never forget that. And I'll tell you, I, I, I bet his teammates felt the same same way. They did. I know they did. Yeah. They said, "Who's this guy?" And then the more you were around him as teammates or as coaches or whatever, the more respect you had for him because of his ability. The guy had ability. I don't care how tall he was. He he could play. He could he could run. He could hit. Fundamentally sound. Always prepared. All those kind of things. Plus. He was an outstanding teammate. Outstanding teammate. Well, you know, he was just, he was one of four coaches. And we had Ricky Jackson on the show a few months ago. Um, and that Dome Patrol coach, I, I still, I know I'm biased, but I don't know that there were a group of four linebackers better than Ricky Jackson, Sam Mills, Vaughn Johnson, and Pat Swilling. The best, best that I've ever seen. I mean, how, how do you think? What do you think? I, oh, I agree with you 100%. I think if, 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 if people that knew what they were talking about, 
said, okay, well, it was the best linebacker core in the history of the NFL. I think they'd be a serious candidate, maybe, maybe the best. You know, and, and, and three of those guys were, were all new to the Saints. Right. That was our third round, third round as you know, a third-round draft pick. And, and Von Johnson was a, a USFL guy. Right, and and yeah. and Ricky was was fairly new too. too. I think he was drafted in fairly new, eighty one yeah. or eighty two. And boy, they were all special. I mean, special. And each coach, each one of them was different in, in a. You know, not just I don't mean their role on the field because they all did different things on the field, but just talk about how all four of those guys were, were just different individuals. Well, first of all, they all had a, a good work ethic on the field. Uh, so, and, and especially early, but all the time that they were there. But, but like I say, that first year with, with all with three of them being their first year in the NFL, Pat, Vaughn, and Sam. And then Ricky, you know, Ricky was always a leader on our team. He always set a good example. Tough as hell, as tough as any football player I've ever been around. In fact, I've told people when they've asked me about Ricky Jackson, I said, you know, if, if, if I was ever out on the streets and, and, and all of a sudden I had a group of guys, they wanted to rob me or so. I was in a bad area or something like that. Now we're out on the, I'm out on the street. And, and I got, I've got five or six or seven guys that are, they got me trapped in an alley and they're coming to beat me up or something uh, like that. Right. I said, if I had to pick one player that I coached in my career to be on my side and help me against these five or six guys, I'd pick Ricky Jackson. And that's the truth. He was one tough guy and he was a leader he was a leader in a little bit different way than some guys but he was a great leader to our team so so he, starting with him with the experience you know you, you had a pretty good guy to to that could set that example Vaughn was very Vaughn was very quiet nice guy great great person to be around uh sam was quiet but productive and and pat came in and you know pat gave us and we, they were two outside linebackers, but we rushed them a lot, you know, to right. get after the quarterback. They didn't, they weren't dropping into coverage as a linebacker. The defense we played, they were like a defensive lineman lined up in a two-point stance right. and coming after the quarterback. And both these guys were very, very good pass rushers. And when you go in and sack somebody, that that is special, you know, that, that gives you a, a, another thing that you can do good. And, and that the, the media talk about sacks and stuff like that. And Pat and Ricky could do that. And that made them extra special other than just being an outside linebacker. They could get upfield and get after the quarterback. And, and Vaughn and Sam in the middle were really good against the run, uh, solid, play their tails off, you know, that kind of stuff. So we were fortunate. And then, and this is important, the guys in front of them, you know, Frank Warren, Jumpy Kethers, Jimmy Wilkes, those guys, that helped a lot. And Ricky Jackson played with a broken jaw, Coach. Yes, he did. One, 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 one game. He gets in a car accident. He, he, like the doc said, hey, he can't play for two or three weeks. Baloney. He was playing. <laughs> and he had that, he was, that he's face tough. mask. I mean, he's really tough. Yeah. I spent time with Ricky back there in Canton. He and Pat were both there. And uh, I love those two guys. I mean, you can talk about two guys that you'd love to have play in those positions. Holy mackerel. Those guys were special. Before I get to today's Saints and what you think of them, i got to ask, you know, uh, you had an interesting relationship with the media back in your day. How does a guy who, okay, maybe the media weren't your favorite people back then, but now you're like, you, you've been doing all sorts of things on, on TV, and I see you with Fletcher and, you know, on, on, and Sharif Ishak on Channel 6, and how did you become one of us? <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I never disliked the media. I, I, I really didn't. And, and I still talk to some of the guys that were media people there, or not some of them, a couple of them. You weren't fond of you weren't fond of you weren't you weren't fond of dumb questions. I'll just say that. I didn't like that. <laughs> but but I'm an emotional guy, and. Sometimes when I was in front of the media and and didn't things weren't going quite well between at that particular media meeting right because I am emotional I, I lost my cool sometimes and I responded in a way 
that I probably shouldn't have responded, which I think maybe gave the impression that I didn't like the media. I, I like getting up there and talking to them sometimes. Now, a couple of them that bug me all the time, and, and, and if I felt like they weren't doing their job, like I would hope that they would do, then I responded. And that gave the impression, I think, that, that I didn't like the media. And, and that really wasn't the case. Two or three of them, I won't even say two or three, maybe one in particular, and I'm not going to give you his name. And you don't have that, to. That bugged, that bugged the heck out of me. And I didn't think he was asking the proper questions or, or doing his job the way he should do it. And, uh, and, I, and instead of keeping my cool, and blame me for this, instead of keeping my cool, I, I responded emotionally. And that, gave, and that gave me that people thought I was, you know, I, I said things after, after games and I was emotional. And that was wrong. That was, my, that was my, I shouldn't have said some of the things I said. The playoff thing, I mean, that, I hear that all the time. That, I'm sure. That, that made me some money. But, <laughs> but that, and I didn't mean that as, as a bad thing when I said it. They, somebody says, well, this was when I was in Indianapolis and it was after a game late in the season my last year. And somebody, and somebody says, well, what is this loss? This was a, right after the game. What does this loss do to, to your chance of having a winning or the, going to the playoffs? And I responded. And I didn't think there was anything to it when I responded to it. And it, it I hear it all the time on the streets from people, everything. But I think, well, I think a lot of it was, was my fault if, if, if people thought I didn't get along with the media. But I... I agree with that. I should have kept my cool sometimes. It wasn't their fault. It was my fault. So you didn't think the playoffs thing would blow up like it did? Which I mean, what? people still talk about well, it. Well, I didn't think it was any big deal. They said, what's this, what's this chance of you making the playoffs? And, I, you know, I said, playoffs? I mean, are you kidding me? We're just trying to win a game. That's basically <laughs> what I said. Now, I'm, my, how I looked or the, the tone of my voice or whatever when I said it, but that's basically what I was saying. He says, what is this? What does this loss do to your what do to your chance to make in the playoffs? And it was after a game that we lost. I think it might have been after we lost to the 49ers, and my son Jim was the defensive yeah. coordinator at the 49ers, and that might have made a uh, and it was our at our place. And I said, playoffs? Are you kidding me? We're just <laughs> trying to win a friggin' game, you know? I mean, that, I said it more. Yeah, yeah, a little you know, close to that. That was pretty pretty close. Yeah, but, but about, I mean, when I said it or when I walked away from saying it, I didn't think it was anything special. Well, and here we are, you know, 25 years later or however many years later, maybe more than that, and uh, it still lives. So, I mean, and I hope you, don't, hope you don't mind, but I still use diddly poo every now and then. I hope you're okay with that. That was, okay, that, for me to say something like that after a game was, was not me, but it came out. I lost my cool. I, I over I overreacted to a question or something like that, or to a loss, or to you know whatever I did. And I made I said some things that I if I had to do it over again I wouldn't I wouldn't have said those names. Well, coach Diddly was one of them. Mm-hmm. Diddly what, what coach says Diddly Pooh? <laughs> Jamora did. I mean that's that's. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. It's it great. Uh, well, I tell you, New Orleans, we're, we're emotional people, Coach. So I mean, that, I know that. That's why you yeah. fit in here. I'm an I, emotional guy. We appreciated it. I mean, I gotta be honest. <laughs> you know, you said you said what was on your mind, and that's what we like. I wish more people would yeah, but do you that. Know, you gotta you gotta be careful because sometimes the media misinterprets what that's you say. True. They overdo what you say. They, you know, you never know. Yeah, I've been, I, I've been accused. I of that. never. Well, I wasn't someone that disliked the media, not at all. Now I'm a part of the media. I worked for ESPN for five years, well, NFL Network, and, and I did a radio show for five, for not ESPN, but I did a radio show for five years, uh, Fox Sports Radio, Yeah, and I, it was after I retired, and then I, I worked for the NFL Network for five years. So. Well, and, and we love having you on when the Saints are on a night game or whatever it is, and you're on Channel 6. I got to ask you about I love, the, I love I work I love working with Fletcher and those guys. They're, they've been good to me. Now, see, every now and then Fletcher will, will try to get your goat, and I, I notice that you, you know, you let him know that you know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's always interesting, Coach. I got to ask you about these Saints, the this 2022 Saints. Um, obviously, it's a different season. You know, it's kind of like when you left. I mean, and and Sean Payton, it was a legend here, and 
Um, he won a lot of ball games, and a lot of great things happened while he was here. And now one of his guys, Dennis Allen, is coming in and coaching. How much different do you think it's going to be uh, as far as going in? I mean, people. some people have high expectations. Some people don't know what to expect. A new coach, although it's, it's the same core group of guys leading this team, do you think this team can be successful under Dennis Allen? I definitely do. And I don't I know Dennis a little bit. Dennis worked for my son Jim with the Falcons. Oh, okay. And and that's when I first uh, knew about Dennis or had met Dennis. And I I've certainly have been extremely impressed with the way he's been the defensive coordinator for the Saints. Now he's had a lot of good talent on that defense, but I think he's done a great job of, of coaching them and having them prepared every week and just being around Dennis, I, 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 I'm impressed with him as a person. I'm impressed with him, who I think he will be as a head coach. And uh, I'm, I'm excited. I think the Saints are going to have another really good defense. And I think if they can keep Jameis healthy, uh, I think they're going to be, and I think they're getting, you know, they're going to be better on offense if they can stay healthy. Uh, I think they have a chance to be a really good football team. Coach, this, my impression. Yeah, and this is your kind of defense. I mean, this may be the closest thing that we've had to the kind of defense that, that you had here in the late 80s and the early 90s. How would you compare? Obviously, it's a different scheme. Uh, they don't. It's not the same scheme that you ran, but how would you compare this team to the one that you had when you had the great Dome Patrol? You talk about Jim Wilkes and Frank Warren and, and all those guys, and you had a decent secondary and, and you know, how would you compare these guys to those guys? Well, I want to say one thing. Yes, we, when I haven't talked about the secondary, but we did have a decent secondary. You know, secondary. So you were right when I said when, when you said that. But I, I like I like I think they have a very really good defensive lineman. I think they got really good linebackers. I think that in the past couple of years, if there was one area that the, of the three areas. And, and I'm, I'm not an expert on this, so don't I didn't don't know I don't know if this is correct. I felt like of the three areas, the least strength, the strength, the, the the weakest of the three areas were the secondary. But I don't think it was a weak area. Right. Okay. Right. I think. Would you agree with me? Absolutely, one hundred percent. Okay, but I don't think it was a weak area. But but I think their front seven are are as a group are really good they can stop the run they they they, they, i think they have good leadership within that group and and they can and they can get after the quarterback uh, passing downs and that's what those that those two groups have to do and i and i think they're exceptional at that and i think that's really a strength and i think that their secondary is good and it looks to me from what i see and they read and stuff like that that they're going to be even improved back there i don't know you know better than i do well there's two players i want to ask about you in particular because i think these two guys would have fit in with with your old teams because i think they could have played for anybody at any time and that's cameron jordan and demario davis you gotta love those two guys i love both of them yeah yeah they're they're my my kind of guys no question about it i'm sure they're great teammates I'm sure their work ethic to, to become what they've become has been outstanding. I love those guys. I love both of them. I love watching them. Coaching this offense, um, you know, we don't know a whole lot about Jameis because it, it was a short time frame, just seven games right. before he got hurt. But, you know, right. all the receivers that are coming back, I don't understand why, you know, a lot of the national media are down on this team. Um, and, look, I've been called Derry Downer. I, when, I, when I think the Saints aren't going to be that, that good, I, I, t- I say it. But I don't understand. I mean, this team with this defense, and if Jameis just has an average season with his core receivers, and Alvin Kamara, we don't know his situation or how, what's going to happen, but you gotta, you got to like where this team is and chances to win 9, 10, 11 games and maybe get to the playoffs. I watched him last year. I, I was not a big Jameis Fan, I don't, I don't know him. Right. Initially, when he was with the Saints, and he was with them the year before, right? Yes, as a backup to, to Drew. Yeah, as a backup. Okay, okay. And I don't know Jameis and everything, but just I don't know what it was, a feeling or whatever. I thought he was a, a talented athlete, but right. I wasn't sure how he would be as the starting quarterback, and that entails a lot of other things. The thing that I was most impressed with with Jamison, I think that he 
really wants to be good. This is just my impression. And he's and he works hard and thinks he is can be good and, and wants to be good. And certainly he's got talent. He's a good athlete. And the thing that I like about Jameis, there was some question marks on him at him because he was their starter last year for the first time, et cetera. But I think that he got better every game. And and that was really impressive to me. And I thought maybe his best game or maybe it was the game he got hurt or the game before, but I felt like he was improving every week, which was which is important. And uh, and and that if he could keep doing that, and I'm I'm, I'm I feel like he's doing that because he is a good worker and, and trying to get better, getting better. And I, I think he's a leader. I don't I don't know because I'm not around, but I was impressed with the way that I felt he he worked and improved. Uh, those seven games that he played and was at the best game was his last game and was on his way to really getting better and having a good year. And I think that if he can continue to do that, I think we got, we got ourselves a good quarterback. Well, Coach, I'm looking for. Did that, did that make sense? Yes, and I'm yeah. gl- I'm glad that you still say we. You still feel like that you have a, a a bond here, and obviously. Oh, you bet I do. You bet I do. I live and die with those guys. I love it, and, and I like Jameis Winston. I've never met him, and I, I think I had made some remarks about him. The and I, I never thought he was a bad because I always liked. I think he was good and a good good athlete, and I think that he was really getting better as a starter. Until he got hurt, which was a shame for him and the team. Well, I agree, and I think, and I, he, and I hope that he can come back and pick it up the way he was going and be really good. Well, I Co- think he can be. Well, coach, we look forward to seeing you on on Sunday nights. But I, before I let you go, there uh, there is one little memory I want to share with you. Know, as a okay. as a late teenage, late my late teens, or maybe I was twenty, somewhere around there, but. You used to have the Jim Morris show, and you'd go in studio and do it and have a little crowd in there. Uh, I, I was in the crowd for a couple of those, and I always remember that, you know, sometimes we'd, we'd see things and they portray things and, you know, weren't sure if, if Jim Moore is a nice guy, but you were the nicest guy back then as a teenager. You came and told everybody hello after the show was over and made sure you, you know, you said hi to people, and uh, you wanted to make sure that people in New Orleans realized that, you know, it's not just about football. Right. Well, I, I, I think that's how I am. I agree with you. And I'm not bragging when I say that, but I am a friendly guy, and I like people to think that I'm friendly and, and that I respect them, uh, whoever. And, and that's how I am. Well, that was I a, just have my moments coaching. That was a big deal, and it left a big impression on me, and that was before I started working in the Times-Picayune. I started here in 1990. Um, well, I, I appreciate those comments. And, uh, I already do. Well, we, you are a legend in New Orleans, and we, we appreciate you taking time to talk to us on Datitude. We look forward to seeing you on Double WDSU this, this season. And, uh, you know, it, it just thanks for everything, and uh, enjoy the season. Thank you, Jim. I've enjoyed talking to you. Love it. Coach Jim Mora uh, here on the Attitude Podcast, too. I mean, I, I, I got to tell you, if you would have told me, you know, I didn't even start thinking about, I mean, I've, I've thought about doing a podcast for a few years, but I didn't, I didn't really get into the final stages of putting it together until I'd say it was after the storm or during, the st- during Ida last year. When I was in a hotel room, I'm like we're gonna do this. I don't. Know, I got to figure out how to do this, but we're gonna do this. Um, and so, basically, 11 months ago, um, or I guess 11 and a half months ago, is when we started putting this thing together. And if you would have told me that we'd have the guests that we've had through the first 11 and a half months, I'm just thrilled. And I'm thrilled of the fact that this is growing. This podcast continues to grow, and it's because of you guys. Um, our numbers are showing it or are going up every week. Um, we have more subscribers than at this point than I thought we would have. So regulars, uh, thank you so much for listening to the Attitude Podcast. And, and I told Coach Moore in a text last night, um, you know, well after we, we spoke, um, that having, <clears throat> having guys like him really lends credibility to the show. And, um, he was very gracious in a response text, and I'm sure we'll have him on again at some point, maybe later in the season. And next time we'll have him on, we'll talk probably more about today than we did uh, than we will about history. But uh, when you have Coach Moore on for the first time, you got to talk about 
things in the past. And I, you know, I'm just happy he's going to let me use diddly poo. I have used it, to be honest, here and there. Um, you know, you, you just pick your spots. You can't just go out throwing diddly poos out around. That, that wouldn't be cool. So how are we going to end this show today? There's only one way to end it when you got Jim Moore on the show. You got to dig deep, deep, deep. You got to go deep. And we went deep. Irma Thomas, baby. Those of you under the age of 40-ish or so don't know what the hell this song is. But this was big back in 1987 when the New Orleans football saints went to heights they have never reached before. And we're talking about, that's right, boys and girls, playoffs! Saints go all the way. They'll start a new campaign Saturday night in Houston. Sort of. It kind of, whatever. It doesn't count, but hey, they'll be in uniform. And you'll be watching, and I'll be watching, and we'll talk about it next week on Datitude when we Bring in Catherine Terrell. We will talk to you next Friday. Have a great weekend, boys and girls. Hug the ones you love, the ones you don't. Play this song for them about 150 times. Peace and love, my friends. It's time for the city to gather inside the super